Well, you didn't ask if we could record the, uh, the podcast a couple of days ago because um, I had no voice. Literally nothing nothing came out. It was almost back. Well, no, currently it sounds like I'm going through late onset puberty or something <laughs> because it's a, li- it's a little bit squeaky. So if, if something, if, if a subject comes up, I get very passionate about it. It's going to get very squeaky. But I think a couple of days ago, nothing. So the point, can you imagine you've got, I was out with three four-year-olds and a friend and they're running off, you know, they're about to run into a road and I can't, I open my mouth and nothing comes out. <laughs> Literally nothing. So it was, uh, no, it's getting better. It actually went, it went on curry night. Can you, can you believe it? <laughs> that I was at new parents, new school curry night. And I started off with my normal voice and I ended up sounding like Barry White there ah. by the end of it. And I had these parents, these people I've never met before, just looking at me. They were drinking more and more and more. My voice was changing. <laughs> <laughs> was that because you were drinking though? Uh, I, I didn't drink a lot. Uh, partly because I was starting to feel not so great. Were you having to shout at people? Is that, is that what it was? Well, you were so passionate about what you were talking about. It's quite aggressive. Uh, no, I think maybe I was just talking too much. And um, yeah, by the end of the evening, my voice was, was so low and so deep and sort of cracking and disappearing. And all these fairly drunk parents just look at me going, is this, how, is this a thing? <laughs> so I was like, it's really nice to meet you. Bye. And I disappeared. So we're, um, I survived that. My voice and I survived that. And we're, we're sort of back on track. So what would you do if you had to commentate? Oh, I guess you just can't do it, right? Well, I had it before at the at the tour finals last year. Actually, the last two years. I think it's end of year syndrome. I just talk too much. And I started and I, I it was the day before I was due to travel to the O2. And I was really panicking, thinking I, I can't, I can't speak, let alone commentate. <laughs> so I can't do anything. So I was googling remedies, and I know things like pineapple are very good for your voice, for your vocal cords. Right, didn't know that. Why? But they don't bring the. Vo- oh, I don't know. But I know they're very good. I like pineapple, so I sort of went with it. But I was, I was googling, you know, speedy remedies to get your voice back. You can gargle with salt and all these things, and um, I found this video that this opera singer did. And it was basically chamomile because it's antiseptic um, and it was honey and it was lemon. And he just mixes. That's why you must have seen me last year with that kind of flask. It was like a vat. Yeah, I remember. It looked like a sample, right? Yeah, I know. We, we talked extensively about <laughs> your sample and drinking of it. It did a quite a good job, though. I think it's right to trust an opera singer. One imagines they would be on it with how to sort your voice out. Well, they've really got to give it some. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things as well. I guess you'd probably just want to hope or request to be put on the more boring matches, you know, when potentially it's not an upset or there's not big names involved. But it's tough at the O2, isn't it? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and it's all the best players <laughs> playing against each other. They're all quite dramatic. I just want to say really low key because when you got to that really excited part, they played uh, the the championship point from Sasha Zvera of last year from the O2. And I think it was during one of the tournaments. And whoever I was with said, who's that? I don't recognise them. And I was like, oh, okay, that's me. Because um, <laughs> it sounded it sounded different. So it's it, there's when it completely goes, I mean, you're a bit stuffed. There's not much. But now, like I've got it with me now. I constantly have uh, chamomile tea and honey. But I have to keep the tea bag in because so many people think I'm just walking around. Why I would with a giant sample? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look the most appetising. No, but it, it, it does the trick. So, And luckily, I'm not working this week so I can sound 
like this and it's not a problem just and and the early stages of Shanghai again the matches will be fairly low key so we um yeah have you has your voice ever gone yeah I think it, it went once when I was coaching which was a bit of an issue trying to deal with lots of children <laughs> kind of six seven years old and uh, heard them when you can't project your voice it's quite tough um, and I had to write down signs and it was actually one of those things where it worked quite effectively because you know they were good kids but uh, they were definitely uh, energetic a lot of the time and uh, they were kind of yeah they were on board with it but I had to just write things down and I was just holding up signs and pointing to them and things, but they, uh, they they were quite good. It's almost you know sometimes if you lower your voice, people concentrate harder. It was kind of like that. They had to really concentrate to try and understand what I was saying because I wasn't saying anything. Yeah, and you whisper. You have to speak really quietly because you you can't actually project your voice. Yeah. Can you imagine those those children going home? Their parents saying, "How is tennis? Oh, Coach Cavaday was really nice. He didn't shout at us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was their one. It was their one off. <laughs> yeah, they come back the next it. week. They're like, oh wow, voice is back." oh dear yeah I have to make up for it for sure because even in that situation you do let a couple more things go because you see somebody do something a couple of courts away and you can't do anything about it and by the time you get there they've forgotten about it it's not going to register so you just kind of have to say okay we're going to hit the backhand like that today interesting we were at um with the four-year-olds wasn't it? so the twins and their friends and and their mum we were at a, a lovely country house we thought we'd take them outside run them just run and run and run and run them till they collapsed I can't speak uh, my friend had she had gone off to grab a cup of tea and suddenly the boys in the middle of this wonderful gardens of this country house decided they needed a wee <laughs> in the middle of these beautiful gardens and when one goes it's a chain reaction all three suddenly go and you can imagine people walking around oh, wow Oh, I didn't notice. It's like sneezing. It's. <laughs> I didn't know it was contagious. It's, it's like a. It's a chain reaction. So these gorgeous grounds, beautiful flowers, a lovely country house, and I. I envisage what's about to unfold in front of me. Three of them suddenly deciding, but I can't yell, and they're quite far away. So I'm kind of croaking as I'm kind of shaking. Don't do it, please, don't do it. <laughs> and there's absolutely nothing I could do. And I think they probably took advantage of that because they knew I couldn't stop them. As when I kind of went to sort of yell, "Don't do it," nothing came out. <laughs> it was. It's not the same as tennis coaching, but I, I feel it was the the closest analogy I could find. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't have. I didn't. My, my kids weren't uh, opting to to go for a wee. <laughs> Thank goodness. Otherwise, I would have had to have done something in the middle of a tennis hall. <laughs> what would you write on a piece of paper for that one? I'd have to say that, uh, you know, I have experienced that. I've experienced worse as well. So that's, that's the nature of being a tennis coach and the situations you find yourself in. That's the story for another day. OK, that's going to be another special, you see. <laughs> We've got another spe- I mean, that story is just coming back to me now. Oh, I've got to, I've sure, got to think about are it. Are you sure you don't want to share it at this point, or are we going to save that for a special? Well, the poor child. I don't, I don't want to upset the child. Anyway, right back to you and your bodily malfunctions. <laughs> what? What? Um, have, has anything ever happened whilst you've been on air? I don't know. Some sort of rogue hiccup did you get hiccups or but I mean you've been broadcasting an awful lot longer than I have I mean I've only been doing it a few years have you noticed though how you never sneeze on air that's one thing I think incredible whether it's television or radio I, I did it was it it was years ago it was Champions League and I think I probably had flu sneezing nose was running eyes were running couldn't see anything couldn't speak <laughs> uh, as soon as we went on air 
nose dried up, eyes didn't water, didn't sneeze. And I thought, this is incredible. Literally, when we came off air and I said, goodbye, we'll see you after the match, been wonderful. Started sneezing, nose was running, eyes were running. I, I don't know whether it's the adrenaline that kicks. I don't know if it's similar to, I don't know, playing tennis and, and you feel awful. And I don't know, you get on court, the adrenaline pumps in and, and you don't feel as bad. And then when you stop, it kind of seeps out and you collapse. I think it's a little bit similar when you're doing stuff on air that, that if your voice sounds like mine, there's, <laughs> there's not an awful lot you can do. But in terms of the sort of sniffing, no, I haven't. Did I get hiccups? No. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've laughed a lot when I shouldn't have done. And <laughs> but um, no, no, no malfunctioning of my body on air, which sounds... It sounds awful. Actually. <laughs> well, I'm glad it hasn't happened. <laughs> it sounds really awful. But is that is that the same? Have you ever gone on court? I don't know, and you've got flu or just something like nose is running. And I know we see players with tissues at tissues at the change, but when you're actually playing, it almost feels like everything's dried up and disappeared. Well, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. You feel awful <laughs> on court. Oh, when I was ill. But sometimes I used to play well when I was ill because you basically, for me, I was like, well, I can't hit, play more than four shots in a point because I can't breathe. You know, when you're really bunged up. So you just kind of tee off. And I played one of the best matches of my life when I was really ill because I had a temperature. <laughs> I just felt awful. I was playing this indoor event and it was a quick court. So I was like, I'm just going to thump it. And it, it all went in that day. And you know what? Four times out of 10, it will all go in. And that's great. <laughs> so. When did you last see someone sneeze on court? All the time. As in, as in during the match. I can't remember seeing anybody sneeze during a point or a game. Maybe at the change of ends. But when did you last see someone sneeze? Oh, I don't know. It's not something that I don't think happens. It might. It's not really a common occurrence. But how, how often do you sneeze in life? Not very often. Do you not? No. I once hit a serve, quite traumatic. This I actually remember this. I was quite young. I must have been about 11. And I, I was just at my tennis lesson. And I was hitting serves. And when I contacted the ball, so that's quite like an effort. That's a strain. <laughs> but I hiccuped and burped at the same time. <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah, but you laugh. It was really painful. <laughs> like, it was really painful. <laughs> It was very challenging. What happened to what happened to the ball? I don't think it was a particularly good serve. <laughs> but yeah, I I have done that. And and yeah, and the nature of coaching children is that interesting things happen, especially when they are really really trying hard. Oh, and again, you're not going to tell us <laughs> when they are really trying. <laughs> are you sure there isn't a little story you'd like to share? There is, but I don't know if I can make it through it. <laughs> Just genuinely. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of, do you know what? I'll spend this week, I might compose myself. <laughs> try Because it would just be awful to listen to. It would just be me laughing hysterically, not being able to breathe. <laughs> the poor child. All I can say, people, is that the worst happened. <laughs> I, can, um, I can give you the title to the story. Would you like to know the title of the story? Go on then. The title is, There's a Turd on the Baseline. <laughs> So now you understand why I cannot take you through this story. <laughs> because that's, that's, that's it. That's what happened. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was very difficult. Um, very difficult. <laughs> There's a lot of things running through my mind as to how that would come to pass. <laughs> can, I, can I just say, if, if Ryan's listening, 
I apologise, Ryan, because he sent us a message this week saying he's had to stop listening to the podcast at work <laughs> because he oh. suddenly bursts out laughing. Um, <laughs> we should put it in the title, Ryan, don't listen at work. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to put in title the title of your story. <laughs> I was oh, yeah. like, I'm not sure. I don't think many people would listen to that. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no one's listening to the podcast this week. Why is that? The great thing when we do social media, there's some wonderful emojis we can use. <laughs> but do you know what? Genuinely, this is one of my most proud moments, I think, as a coach, was how I dealt with that situation. Because you have a poor child. What, by laughing? By laughing? I'm laughing now. Oh, you didn't laugh about at the time? five years later. No, no, no. This is the thing. At the time, I... I felt like it was dealt with quite professionally by myself and other coaches that were involved um, because it was this poor kid. Oh, I know it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. And, um, and I, and I really felt for him um, when it was finished, we were obviously in hysterics. <laughs> Once we knew the child was okay. The did the child laugh? No, but the dad did. So well, what are you going to do? You know what? This has scared me. We've got we've got our second tennis lesson today and I'm just, I've suddenly got a little bit nervous as to what could happen at the tennis lesson. So, so next week, will you tell the story next week? I mean, we've kind of, we've got large amounts of it, but can we have it next week? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I feel like I've ruined the ending now. I gave away the ending. Can you believe I it? I imagine people still want to hear. I still want to hear. Well... <laughs> There's no need. I can't believe you haven't told me this story before. <laughs> uh, please, can we change the, the topic? I don't want to think about it anymore. I've not been working this week, getting ready for Shanghai next week and then the run that takes us through to the end of the season. But you've been you've been busy doing some bits and pieces. Oh yes, what have I been up to this week? Um, we're not a huge amount. I like you are waiting for Shanghai uh, to begin. Um, but last week I was actually involved uh, with a documentary that's being made. Uh, BBC Scotland are making a documentary uh, on the life of um, Bally or Bal, as I called her, Elena Baltacher, for those who who don't know. And it's it's the first time I've ever been involved in something like this or something to do with Bal. And um, it really got me thinking. I mean, firstly, last week I talked about how kind of lonely I was on tour and that there was no one to talk to and that we're all rivals and stuff. And I actually would like to retract that because Bal was my mentor for... Uh, my entire career she was unbelievable she really took me under her wing she really tried to understand where I was coming from it was difficult for her to understand where I was coming from because she quite enjoyed what she was doing uh, and and her life but she did really really try and do you know what I don't know why I didn't say that last week it did cross my mind I suppose I wasn't really wanting to launch into this whole thing about Bal and of course it's such a, a tragic story and you know I always feel like when there's these sort of situations everybody tries to cling on and be like oh well I was really good friends with her and I did this and I did that and whatever and and so I've never really tried to be one of those people and I actually got as I say I got a little bit frustrated with myself that I hadn't spoken about her in the, the week before when it would have been 100% relevant to talk about her because she was incredibly helpful in, in my career but uh, I think lots of people were involved um, I know pretty much everybody who's involved with Bal through her tennis career and her life, family members as well, uh, were involved uh, with interviews. So it will be coming out later in the year. And I'm quite, well, I'm kind of anxious to see what it will be like. You know, hopefully it's going to be a nice celebration of her life and what she was about. Yeah, no, lovely to have been asked to be 
part of the documentary and did they was it quite a long interview I know in these documentaries they use sort of snippets here and there but were you able to really get stuck into your relationship with her and and everything or was it just sort of a couple of little bits and done yeah we talked for about an hour I guess so oh, nice. yeah, yeah okay. Good. full yeah. interview talked about all different areas I mean they were looking at some specific areas and it actually worked out perfectly the way they asked me a couple of questions were exactly kind of the the stories and the messages that I've always talked about or that I would take from uh, from Bal so um yeah I think it's a great thing that they're doing it um just for more people to learn about her because she was just extraordinary and Actually, when I was talking about her mentoring me, and I won't go into all of the details because I think, you know, it'd be nice um, packaged up in this way. If, if people want to learn more about her, they can kind of see it. And maybe I'll talk about it a bit more when it comes out. You have to remind us closer to the time when the documentary is coming out, because it'd be a really nice opportunity to learn for people who don't know as much about her, her tennis life. Or is it life away from the court and on the court? Is it a bit of both? Yeah, it was definitely a bit of both. They were talking a lot about... Um, yeah, who she was, what it was like to play against her, play with her. I mean, I, I was on a Fed Cup team with her. I played doubles with her multiple times. I played against her a few times as well. But I think the one thing that actually stood out for me, it's such a difficult sport to kind of be a mentor in because ultimately the other players, like none of them affect you in any way. So if they do well, it makes no difference to you. If they do badly, it makes no difference to you at all. I mean, okay, okay, other than Fed Cup, but it's a it's a very individual sport. Uh, so for her to be as much of a mentor as she was to me was um, pretty extraordinary. And it, it really uh, was quite rare, I think. Um, so that's kind of what I would say about that. But I'll go into it a lot more detail in the, the documentary. And we'll talk about it a lot more around there. But I think that'll be the best way for people to learn more about her first and then um yeah we can chat about it yeah no look forward to the documentary would you like to talk about andy murray andy murray well always <laughs> always and the more he keeps winning the more we get to talk about him he beat matteo berrettini though who's kind of one of my favorites so a bit gutted about that um but what a result that is berrettini's looking like he's well in the race for the o2 so that is a very informed player of the year. It's not just kind of a, a top 20 player who's been doing okay. This is a, a quality win. Murray coming through six and six, getting better and better. I mean, honestly, I did not expect it. It's blowing my mind what he's doing. I, ca I can't believe it. He took Diminar to three sets last week, who won the tournament. And now he's beaten Berrettini in straight sets. Extraordinary. Looking on social media after the win, there are lots of people doing stats and bits and pieces. Mike Dixon said that Berrettini is the world's eighth best player in 2019. So in terms of what he's done, we know he's a US Open semi-finalist, but then I saw another stat saying he's only one and eight on, on the hard courts away from that run at the US Open. But he's having a fantastic, he's world number 13, currently Matteo Berrettini. And I know it's two tight sets, but for Murray, um, the movement's getting better. And con what, what does that do for your confidence in terms of you have, pulled out that kind of win against that kind of player and next up and again this is why we don't really do this as a result service because it's always out of date but next up is it what Dan Evans is a couple of wins away from being British number one and next up if Andy Murray beats Cameron Norrie mm. he's back in the top 300 so it's uh, aside from we're talking about the Britishman Kyle Edmund who's really struggling at the moment but there's some there's some other little pockets of of good news but Murray I mean when you think in January this year he talked about couldn't take his dogs for a walk, couldn't put his socks on because of the pain, couldn't go through soft play. I mean, soft play, apparently my body works and it's difficult going through those tunnels and things. I mean, that's just not made for adults. But he couldn't do that. And I remember his mum, Judy, saying that 
after he lost to Roberto Bautista Agut, he had to delay his return home because he was in so much pain. He physically couldn't be in the plane for that amount of time. So all that's all that's January. And now and now here we are at the back end of the year and he's beating the world number 13. Yeah, and remember his plane seat would have been a bed. <laughs> it wouldn't have been in coach where he's squashed up going, can I have some extra leg room? He would have been all right. And even then still couldn't fly. Like it was just, it is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because if we think about um, Mr. Brian, who had his hip done last year, he took the full year, basically, pretty much to the whole season, didn't he? To recover from it. And that was seen to be incredibly successful. I mean, this is bonkers that what he's doing. Murray playing singles, the way that he's moving. Wait, when did he have the operation? Can we remember? Pretty soon. Well, Pretty soon after, after January. But it's just not been that long. It's not been that long. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I, I, I cannot believe it. I'm so, so impressed with him. And of course, he's just going to be, he's just going to get back to the top, isn't he? Unless he has any other problems, but it seems like his hip's stronger than ever. So why would he? Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Someone else who's had not to the same extent injury problems, but I was just interested to just do a bit more looking into is, is Alex de Menor, the Aussie, who last year had this had this incredible year and he became the Australian number one male player and injury this year and and had to take time off which you do have to do and he's been speaking on on behind the racket that Noah Rubin runs when you get those people have seen those pictures with players looking from behind a racket and they talk about the struggles and what they've gone through and he was talking about you know, he'd had this great year, suddenly he was injured, couldn't do anything. And the bit that struck me was at Queen's when he lost. He said he went to Tesco's, didn't want to see anybody. Went to te- We've all done this, We've all done this. Gone to supermarket, gone somewhere and just bought junk food. Just bought comfort food, whether it's ice cream or chocolate or whatever it is. He got a load of that, went back to his room, ate it all. And he didn't see anyone for about 24 hours. And he said at that point, he knew, you know, this wasn't good. He was in a bad place. He wasn't enjoying anything to do with the sport that he loves. And he goes on to talk about seeing a sports psychologist and still does. But it's interesting, isn't it? Just to, to everything that goes into getting you back back up and running. If, you, if you've had an injury, it doesn't matter whether you're Andy Murray or, or Alex de Menor, that you, you get... You get all these demons. I know his nickname is the demon, but you, you, do, you, you, do, you do have to battle demons, whoever you are, it seems. Yes. And if you're playing against the demon, you have an extra one. But <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, there we go. I just thought I'd round it off. Yeah, it is a huge amount of work and people, I think, underestimate the amount of prehab and rehab that you do. Um, everybody will have a program that they do every day. I remember talking to my fitness trainer, Yutaka Nakamura. Uh, he's uh, he's great. Worked a long time with Maria Sharapova, Kane Ishikori, um, Bernie Tomic, like loads of different players. He works out at IMG. And I remember <laughs> he's just always saying to me, prehab, every day. And I was like, every day, every day. Oh. How about six times a week? Every day. Christmas day, every day. Oh, wow. Holidays, every day. <laughs> because the um, the effect of, of not doing it was just so huge. And it was like a combination of, um, I mean, prehab is obviously not rehab. It's trying to preempt injuries that you might get is that stretching is that doing lots and lots of stretching? it's probably a combination of stretching and yoga and strength and core and back and bum firing muscles you know sort of like um glutes and, and that sort of thing so it, it, any any instabilities that you have that are personal to use so everybody's prehab will be totally different but it is uh you've got to be pretty militant with it if you if you don't want to get injured because rehab you'd much rather do prehab 
once a day then when you're rehabbing you have to do it kind of four or five times a day and you can't play so uh yeah it's um it's really important i mean everybody's got lots of lots of different things that are specific to them some more than others unfortunately i've got a question from nicole sort of around this who she says she's curious about healthcare on the road because she says she has a lot of players saying they need to go home for x-rays or mri scans for proper diagnosis and she asks is international health insurance offered through the wta also uh, and i never thought about this are there any banned substances in birth control yeah health insurance is offered the wta have a fantastic program you get health insurance through them and it's uh, it's very good very comprehensive it is international but players i think would just rather go home to their doctors i mean if they're significantly injured and they need to get an mri scan i mean some people you you know they do it at the tournament so i think when del potro did his knee he went and did it that evening and then the next day said okay i've had an mri this is not good um so you obviously you can you can do that um but yeah it's just just your choice your preference i mean a lot of people are just much more comfortable being at home and they've got a lot of the time it's recurring injury. They've seen people before, they've got specialists and they'd rather get uh, the right advice, I suppose. When it comes to birth control, um, yeah, I mean, the answer is, yeah, it's fine because people need to be able to take it for a variety of reasons. And I think, um, I'm sure there'll be a couple where it's not, there's something in it that's not allowed, but there'll be plenty that is. And again, you just have to make sure that you're taking the the right ones. There'll be a various selection yeah, you just gotta you gotta do your due diligence. That is for sure, um, and it takes a little bit of time, but you'd rather get it right, wouldn't you? Now we have this a lot um, at Chelsea. We're not talk about birth control here, <laughs> but in terms of injured players, if they were out on loan, they would come back to their their club because, mm. as you said, that because the people there know them very well. It might be a person or a body that they've dealt with from whatever age level through the academies to first team. They're always sharing information. So if you go to, I don't know, if you're at Chelsea and you're on loan at, say, Brighton and you get injured, yes, you can be assessed by everyone at Brighton, but if you're going to be out for a bit, you come back you come back to Chelsea and you might have moved your family and everything to Brighton or you might be effectively coming home, but they know you. And and I guess the difference in that case is also Chelsea owns that player. So it's in their interest to get them back up and running. Because, But the side to that, it's also because they know them and, and they can look after them. And, and, and I know Andy Murray in the past has gone for a bit of rehab at Chelsea, seen him there sort of years gone by. There was a real buzz that sort of went through saying Andy Murray's at Chelsea because the equipment... Um, at the Cobham training ground is incredible and you go through the medical rooms and you see what they can do and the equipment they have whether it's the sort of treadmill in the water thing always looks a little bit weird um, and all the other bits and pieces I mean it's like they are looking after thoroughbred racehorses it's it's <laughs> absolutely it's, it's absolutely amazing what they can do what they can detect and and how they can put things right so so as you say it's it's sort of a case sometimes of you just want to go back to to where you're comfortable and what you know and I imagine if you're away like you were talking last week you're away in sort of Indonesia for whatever amount of time if you get injured it's a good opportunity to come home yeah if you know you're going to come home you're going to come home I think you're being a bit harsh on the Chelsea footballers on saying birth control or loan (laughs) (laughs) well saying it's almost as if they're like thoroughbred racehorses. Shouldn't they be looked after better than racehorses? Surely. I know racehorses are worth a lot, don't get me wrong. But these are 
these are people. <laughs> They're also footballers worth a huge amount of money. Oh, you see, I, I see that as a positive because a thoroughbred racehorse, as you say, are worth millions. I mean, these racehorses... Yeah, but so are footballers. Uh, no, exactly. So I just sort of... It's just a sort of a comparison using the, the way they look after the body rather than as a person. But I apologise mm. if any footballers out there don't like being compared to a thoroughbred racehorse. There are worse... <laughs> there are worse comparisons... stuff on social media that Djokovic did in Tokyo with the sumo wrestlers. Sumo wrestler. I mean, <laughs> and if anyone has a body type, the polar opposite of a sumo wrestler is Novak Djokovic. I know. He tried so hard. And let's be honest, the guy was just standing there laughing, like not moving at all. <laughs> Djokovic was really trying to push him. He, he didn't, I mean, didn't make a dent on this guy. It was amazing. But he did this whole thing. It was great because um, he doesn't play Tokyo often. He normally plays in Beijing. So it was quite a nice treat, but he properly got involved and I just thought it was so funny because he's not he's not huge is he he's quite a slight guy in terms of as an athlete uh, as lots of athletes are but it was just so funny he looked he just didn't look like an athlete he looked so I don't want to say the word pathetic but I've just said it so (laughs) it was just it's just amazing I mean this guy was like what you what you did what are you gonna do but what a great opportunity that's the amazing thing I think the life of a tennis player is that, you know, recently we've been seeing Caroline Wozniacki, her videos from the, the Great Wall of China. And, and if you get a chance, you're going to some incredible places and you might have the opportunity to try some incredible, whether it's different food or different experiences or being a sumo wrestler for a day. If And I know, I'm sure there are players that just sit in the room and watch Netflix or play PlayStation and say, right, get me in and get me out. But if you do, and, and maybe it's more the senior players who've done it for a while, and I don't know, but you, you get the chance to see some amazing things on the travels. Yeah, I was disappointed that Djokovic didn't grab the nappy. I think he, he stopped at that point, <laughs> didn't he? he? He was trying to shove the guy, but the technique when you watch them do it, they, they grab onto the nappy, don't they, and try and lift and, and throw them. But uh, I think he was drawing the line. Have you ever worn the sumo suits? <laughs> no. Oh, what, oh, the inflatable ones. <laughs> yes, yes, oh, you the inflatable sumo. I don't mean the big nappy Um, (laughs) no I don't think I have I've done it I've done it once it was terrifying because they put you in these and I know I know that you're just going to bounce off whoever but they put you in these suits and then I can't remember who I was doing it with uh, they just ran towards me and they they run at like a hundred miles an hour I mean well they don't you (laughs) you run like a racehorse Um, (laughs) (laughs) but they charge towards you and there's a look in their eyes as they're ready to sort of knock you over. And you know, if you get knocked over, you're just going to roll around and bounce up again. But I found it quite, it was fun, but quite terrifying. Yeah, I can imagine. Did you win? Uh, no, because I got charged at and I fell over. And I think that... I thought you were going to say you ran out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I stepped to the side. I could have. If I could have moved in the suit, I would have run out of the way. I think as it was, I had no time, no chance. I sort of rolled around on my back in this suit, popped up again. I was like, am I done? Is it over? Um, no, it was quite. We'll have to. Maybe we should do that one day and film it, you and I. Oh, in Zoom. Really? <laughs> I feel like that's not of much interest to many people, to be honest. You and I in sumo suits. Let's make it happen. Oh no, something, <laughs> something else um, that we've been looking at. Well, you start to look at this time of year, isn't it? Is the um, the race to the finals? Whether we're talking the O2. Or the WTA finals, but the WTA even a little bit more interesting because it's sort of all new and shiny 
this year, the WTA finals. Yeah, in Shenzhen. Really excited. Not only new and shiny, um, worth quite a lot of money. <laughs> Whoever's <laughs> going to win it. I think it's the biggest... What did they say? It's the biggest check in either men's or women's tennis. I'm pretty sure that's what they said. But uh, hopefully we'll get a response from the, the men's side. They'll try and one-up it next year and then they'll go again that's the the idea right it's good to have a bit of healthy competition and then everyone can get paid (laughs) lots more money and we'll all be very happy apart from us (laughs) i don't think it filters down to us doesn't really affect us i mean i'm very happy for them but i don't think we're gonna be beneficiaries of this and and so far we've got barty pliskova halep and andreescu who have qualified she's gonna make it naomi osaka she hasn't quite got the qualification yet but you were saying a little bit earlier, it, it's, it's interesting that of the, of the four Grand Slam winners this year, it's Osaka who still just has to sort of edge over the finish line. Yeah, it, you would assume that whoever had won a Grand Slam this year would have qualified already. Um, but it, it does just show how much Osaka struggled really since the Australian Open. I mean, look, she's won matches, but she just hasn't quite... Well, she won in Osaka, didn't she? She won the title there, um, which was amazing for her to be at home. And I'm sure that's given her a big boost. And now we're in the Asian swing. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that she will, A, get over the line and B, be playing a lot better at the end of this year than we've seen. Because she has been improving through the year, for sure. But um, yeah, it just shows that uh, she's just been struggling to make the latter stages because that's when the points really jump up. In the early rounds, you kind of win 30 points, 40 here and there. You get to quarterfinals, you might get a nice chunk. But really, it's once you go semifinals, that's when you start piling on the points. You kind of really need to do that. Um, but she's not far off. She's what, a few hundred points away from the, the cut. But uh, of course, I doubt people behind her are going to overtake her unless they do what Caroline Garcia did because that was outrageous winning Wuhan and Beijing to take her spot I mean she was in the 20s in the 20s at this time uh two years ago it was I think and uh yeah just flew all the way you know fly with Caro hashtag fly with Caro flew all the way there so I mean if you're looking at the outsiders You've got to say, I mean, Osaka's going to get in at number five. Kvitova will as well at number six. Uh, Serena's at seven. Doubt she's going to play. Uh, underneath that, you've got Svitolina in with a chance. Bencic, Burtons. Conta's out for the rest of the season, so she won't be... Well, Sophia Kennan? Ooh, now she could make a run, couldn't she? It'd be incredible if she were to make it through. And you think, as you say, this uh, Conta's out. Probably won't see Serena Williams again this year. So you got Sabalenka lurking as well. I mean, she just won in Wuhan. Did she? Was it Wuhan? Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) What's Wuhan? She just, it's very busy this time of year. There are a lot of tournaments. She just won in Wuhan, but she has already lost in Beijing. But there's always one part of the pod when you just start saying (laughs) stop it it's it's becoming it's becoming my favorite part of the pod each week at which point will you start making things up or thinking that you're making things up do you know what almost every time i'm right i think aren't i but i pretty much am just just every, every time i think i'm right aren't i i don't know you don't seem convinced <laughs> yeah, because they say something and you look at me funny I know, because it's, it's my favourite part. <laughs> I could just give you this look and then you're like, I'm doubting myself. Do I say it? I said it again. Am I not going to say it? I love it. Sorry. Um, Great. <laughs> we need to talk photos of children. Photos of children? I don't have any photos of children. What are you accusing me of? Well, you do, <laughs> because you sent me some photos of children. What are you talking about? And you said, can you recognise 
any of the children oh. in the photos I have sent you. <laughs> oh, it's genuinely like you've confused me with somebody that I don't want to be confused with here. What are you are. Oh, yes. So I played this, um, I played a match. Uh, a doubles match. Uh, we went to a lovely club, Camden Hills in uh, northwest London. And uh, they had this book. And now some of the fans that are listening, or tennis fans that are listening, might remember this book because it was widely published. A lot of people had the book. It's about 20-something years ago, 23 years ago, something like that. It's a, it was um, a, an Arantxa Sanchez Vicario uh, book. And they basically got these kids and it was about teaching technique to juniors and it's called the young tennis player they got all these kids kind of seven years old to uh to be posing in showing the the technique for the photos anyway i found the book and one of them one of those kids is my brother and I haven't seen this book for about 20 years. I couldn't believe it. And I remember when he was doing it, I was so proud of him. I was like, this is so exciting. And it was a lot of the other players from Kent uh, as well. And uh, yeah, he came back and he was really excited because uh, he was telling me how they wired the ball onto the strings. And then you just had to kind of pose at the contact point to make it look like you were contacting the ball. And it was all tremendously exciting. And uh, I texted him the other day and I, sh- I sent him a picture of it saying, oh my God, do you remember this? And his response was, yeah where's my royalties I bet <laughs> mum and dad stole them all <laughs> but uh, I don't think he got <laughs> got much for it but it's very cool I'm looking at the front now and we've got a young man who's serving yeah there's a there's a young girl waiting to return to serve and the same girl's doing a half volley yes. then there's the fellow with what looks like the ball is stuck to his racket as you said they kind of wired yeah. it on and then we've got a rancher Sanchez Ficari at the top um, holding the French Open trophy. He didn't make it to the front cover, unfortunately. He didn't make the front cover? I thought that was him. No, but he features very much on the inside. Um, and uh, what I might do is next time that I'm up in Loughborough and Louis Caille is around, he loves his technique coaching. I'm going to send him these pictures. We've got an angled smash. An angled smash, quite ambitious for a seven-year-old. I like oh, it. yes. Flat backhand lob he's demonstrating as well. A flat backhand lob. Are you kidding me? I can't even hit one of those now. <laughs> a low-driven backhand return and a backhand slice. Here he's got he he has got the knees bent, one hand on the racket on the backhand side. Again, the concentration is good. He's looking down. It's very cute, anyway. And it was a it was a big book, and it did feature my brother. But that was quite nice a blast from the past. And I was showing everyone about it. And it turns out no one really cared. So I'm sure the listeners aren't that interested either. But I think we'll just stick it out. Uh, one thing last week you said we had no hardcore fans that listened you said we might have the odd listener but but now you've got to you've got to retract that haven't you? you've got to make a, a an apology for that because we've had some lovely messages no we've had people claiming that they're hardcore fans but i don't know what qualifies as hardcore so what does that mean they listen to the podcast it doesn't make you hardcore <laughs> i think in our case it does doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> what, what do That's you want them to ridiculous. be doing it's like that no i think there should be some it's got to be another level if you're if you're a hardcore fan. I don't know. I don't know what that level is. What would it be for a podcast listener? I don't know. How do you make them hardcore? Well, I don't know. They've memorised every episode. They can recite it. <laughs> to me, I think subscribing <laughs> makes them hardcore. And uh, and even if Naomi is very demanding, I am very appreciative. So just know that between us, you've got someone who's very appreciative mm. and someone who still wants more. But I can tell you, Naomi is like this. As a person in life, she just keeps wanting more. But I don't. I don't. I'm very appreciative for them to be listening and they're clearly enjoying it and they're fans and that's that 
is somewhat baffling to me, but uh, also great. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, but I just think if you're going to earn yourself the title of hardcore, that's fine. You can have it, but there should, there's got to be some sort of evidence for us to kind of go, eh, okay, yep, you're hardcore. Fair enough. I don't know what it would be. You are a tough one to please, aren't you? Um, I've got to go soon. Um Tennis lesson number two, although I'm a little oh, bit, yes. I'm a little bit nervous after your nearly telling us the story earlier. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit worried about going to the tennis lesson. Well, I'm worried about being forced to tell this story now. <laughs> Maybe not for my boys, but I'm, I'm going to be sort of looking around the courts the whole time. <laughs> Just know whatever happens, worse has happened to somebody else. <laughs> I've lived it. <laughs> that's that's a little mantra you can use in life isn't it but and we are we're not working together so but we are both working on shanghai yes well you're doing radio so you're gonna have to talk a lot more than i am if that's possible Um, (laughs) but so so next week i'm actually gonna be back working (laughs) um and have something to talk about really and so we'll be out there until we can just sort of get stuck into this last chunk of the season because it's quite busy from then on really I'm I'm going to go and get ready for tennis lesson number two and see if they pay any more attention to the coach this week than they did last week, which wasn't a lot. Good. And I really hope you don't find yourself saying the word or the words, there's a turd on the baseline. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I say... <laughs> and, with, and with that, I say goodbye. <laughs>